I'm Sean Mooney, and I'll be with you for the next three hours of back alley excitement. The lineup speaks for itself. The high-flying rockers take on Mr. Fuji's Orient Express. The big boss man goes up against the most savage member of the Heenan family, the Barbarian. The father and son duo of Dusty and Dustin Rhodes try to show the million-dollar man and his bodyguard Virgil that blood is indeed thicker than water and his cold, hard cash. The Ultimate Warrior will defend the World Wrestling Federation Championship belt against Sergeant Slaughter. And then the main event, the Royal Rumble, which involves 30 WWF superstars, each man for himself a ring full of mortal enemies. The Royal Rumble was held on Florida's Gold Coast in the thriving metropolis of Miami. Not too far from downtown, within easy reach of the city's sparkling beaches, the Miami Arena played host to this great event. The gentle swaying of the palms belied the fury that was about to be unleashed. You have to be willing to rewatch a movie. Oh, hell yeah! The defense is atrocious. I'm sorry, the rocks are. Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. Well, we love China. We love no plan there. Oh, man, I'm sorry. It's just hitting me right now. Shut up and listen. You think you're better than me? All right, Ben, we are back. Swish FM, Chris Wendelkin, and Ben Craw. Ben, um, back by popular demand. We are so lucky to be joined by uh, artist, illustrator, designer, uh, serial monster, connoisseur, newly engaged Chris Noble, a.k.a. the Trash Bag Ghost. 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 Thank you, man. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us. I know this is going to be a memorable one. How are you, Ghost? Hey, fellas. I'm great, and it's great to be here with you guys in the new year. Yeah. Huge, huge congrats on the recent engagement. Um, I feel like that's a whole uh, separate episode, just talking about the engagement. And maybe we'll have your lovely uh, bride-to-be join us, uh, Ghost, but we... We would love to know the particulars of how it all went down, uh, who said what. Um, yeah, I mean, congrats, Ghost. Thank you, Chris. It's a, it is actually a really interesting story. I, it was, you know, a lot of people might plan that day out for months, do scouting and just meticulous planning. But I had enough faith in myself to just know that it was going to be a pure instinct day. And it worked out. Perfectly. I'll give you guys the details at some other point in time, but it is, it is actually a pretty astounding story, if I do say so myself. I can't wait to wow. hear Wow, all right. That's amazing. So, I definitely want to hear that at some point. Ben, I'm not totally sure how we introduce or explain um, how we landed on the subject Jeez. of today's show, so I'll leave that to you, but I think we... Can uh, I, th- I think we pretty quickly realized that we needed to have our trash bag ghost back on the program after the Indeed. enormous success of his first appearance about 10 or 15 episodes ago that was discussing the NBA logos and design concepts. So, Ben, I mean, talk, yeah, talk about like uh, just knocking it out of the park uh, in his very first at bat. Um, I mean, you know, uh, 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 his you know, first, first game. 
as a rookie in, in this league and uh and and he just stepped up and, and absolutely crushed it yep. um you know we sort of knew as as soon as that episode had wrapped we kind of sat back and, and and took stock of things and we were like oh my gosh that was uh that was just pure magic in a bottle um so we figured we would uh do our best to recapture it um and um yeah so who boy all right so this is a this is this is going to be a big a big episode folks um uh people who who push play on this probably could tell by the <laughs> runtime um i don't even know <laughs> what that uh, is going to be at this point um <clears throat> but basically as some of our listeners may remember gosh what was it like I don't even know, a year ago, um, Chris, we did an episode about um, if each NBA team were yeah, a, a WWF wrestler. wrestler from the early 90s. Um, so that was like kind of our just like dipping our toe a little bit, if you will, into the into a, a mutual love of ours, um, which is obviously separate from from basketball. Um, so it was, you know, this is a bit of a, a spinoff series, an offshoot um obviously we've we've dabbled in in film we've dabbled in um you know various uh uh different different subjects and topics uh over the over the years here on on swish fm but um but we knew that this was a well that that was was very deep um and very uh full of uh of of material for us to uh, to kind of return to at some point so, you know, I looked uh, at the calendar, I don't know, like, la- like late last year, 2020, um, and I realized that we were coming up on, um, uh, I don't even know exactly what, what made me think of it, but basically I was like, you know, when, when, when I think about the early 90s WWF um, and my, um, you know, sort of brief but, but very, very intense uh, period of, of, uh, of you know, passion or obsession with it um i uh there's one there's one event in particular that i turned back to um in my mind and in my memory and it just so happens to be um an event that i watched live on pay-per-view uh sitting next to in person in my parents living room a1 chris noble aka the trash bag ghost the ghost um who who is our our guest for this episode um, and that event that I um, speak of is the 1991 Royal Rumble. Um, <laughs> who boy. I, let me just say at the top here, this is going to be a, a perhaps the most challenging episode um, <laughs> for me that we've ever recorded, Chris. Yeah. Um, I I am I am I'm feeling an anxiety here. Um, I've been about. Get, I've been getting that sense. <laughs> I've been getting that sense from you for about the last month or so. That uh, ghost. This one is going to be very personal for our uh, our boy yeah. Ben. Um, this one yeah. cuts a lot of pent up energy. This a one cuts a little different for Ben. Um, I mean, this is basically an episode that's been building in me for thirty years. Yeah. Um, and has been, you know, s- sort of like f- we've we've been planning on doing this for you know a couple months now. I guess um, I can't believe we're finally here. I'm I'm very very concerned about my ability to, to get through this to um, to express myself uh, coherently. Yep. Um, I I have too, just too many thoughts and too many emotions to yep. attempt to articulate. So I'm going to need your guys' help. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm asking our listeners to, to just 
be patient to um, to, to bear with us. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a struggle. Um, but, but basically what we're doing here today, folks, is uh, we're going back down the memory hole um, to revisit the 1991 Royal Rumble in its entirety. It is a three-hour-long event. Um, and we wanted to just, um, yeah, just just rewatch it and talk about it um, with, with my friend um, from second grade that I watched it with um, at the time. And my other friend, um, who I who I have been uh, you know discussing it with, um, you know, I mean, countless times over the years. Um, and here, so here we are. This is this is it. I, I'll I'll uh, yep. I'll stop talking now. So, and um, yeah, today, gentlemen, um, we are we are hopping in our time machines. We are headed back to January nineteenth, nineteen ninety one, almost thirty years to the day to the World Wrestling Federation, the WWF, not the WWE, the WWF right. Royal yeah. Rumble. We will be referring to it uh, by its proper name throughout this podcast. Yes. If anyone would like to sue us, like the World Wrestling uh, World Wildlife Federation, they are welcome to do so. Uh, they would. They will, will, of course, have to, um, you know, I- issue those lawsuits to our parent company, <laughs> OTL Inc. Right. Um, but we will be, uh, but, uh, we're going back in our time machine to the WWF Royal Rumble in Miami, Florida. The the date, Ben and Ghost, is January nineteenth, nineteen ninety one. This was a pay per view event held at the Miami Arena. It was the fourth annual Royal Rumble uh, for the WWF. Ben and Ghost. I learned that there were actually um, seven matches throughout the course of the evening. However, we only saw six of them. But there was one dark match. Which a dark I, match, that's right. Uh, I guess means it was untelevised, but that took place between Jerry Sags, uh, who defeated Sam Houston, and it was the first match of the evening. It lasted five minutes and twenty-five seconds, and um, so that that didn't make the broadcast, but it did happen for uh, you know just just to be accurate as we talk about the uh, the evening. There were seven matches, um, but I think the easiest and the best way to approach this. Uh, guys, is Ben. I I will uh, I will lead us. You know, I, I I can introduce each event, each of the kind of seminal moments of the night, and uh, and then we can just talk about some observations. Uh, you know that that we had with fresh eyes here, thirty years later. So, if you boys are ready to begin, I think we should um, start our oh conversation <laughs> here with the national anthem just at the top here you have a just a soaring uh you know soaring patriotic rendition of the national anthem uh the crowd well, the very first shot yeah that sorry first shot sorry to cut in chris flag. yeah yeah the, before the national anthem even begins the 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 broadcast opens and now all right um excuse me but we're gonna have to like yep. talk about there's different like versions of this um of this event that you can find online um there were different different versions released on home video. Um, uh, if anyone you know tr- rented this this event on like a VHS tape from Blockbuster at any point in the '90s, they probably watched the Coliseum Video version. Welcome to the World Wrestling Federation's Royal Rumble, right here on Coliseum Video. I'm Sean Mooney, and I'll be with you for the next three hours of back alley excitement, which was uh, shortened for time um, and had a couple like you know, differences in it. And then there was like a later home video version that was released by the WWE then. Um, uh, so we kind of had like, we found um, this one version on like dailymotion.com 
um, <laughs> which is a great website. Great website. It's basically, <laughs> basically where videos that aren't allowed on YouTube go it's to just, live. It's illegal. Um, it's a website of illegal <laughs> videos, basically. Is that how you yeah, describe it's, it? Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's just YouTube, but with like, a, like less copyright laws. It's okay. great. Um, anyway, so we found like a, like a three-part version um, on there. But then I later realized that you could watch the entire thing on the WWE Network um, without a full subscription. All you had to do was uh, was sign up with an email address and password. <laughs> so very, very um, magnanimous of Mr. McMahon, I must say. I mean, I know, I know. And he gives away for free like this. Yeah, it quite a it really to find. Yeah, it really felt like a like a like a gift from the heavens when I when I discovered that. So if anyone wants to uh, to watch this event in glorious HD um, in full, uh, no ads. Um, and, uh, and, and legal um, and, and, and legal. Um, to- yeah, exactly. Totally fully legal. legal. I cannot um, get arrested for it. So that is fantastic. That's right. Of, uh, yep. go ahead and, and sign up on, uh, on WWE.com. It's a great website. <laughs> I will say, um, I don't if, know. Uh, I've been getting a bunch of their marketing emails since I signed up. <laughs> sure. Sure. I mean, yeah, listen, you know, I'm sure it's only a matter of time mm-hmm. until I do hand over my credit card information, um, to, to Mr. McMahon, um, but I will uh, certainly do that willingly and enthusiastically. Um, so, um, so the version that we're that we'll be discussing that I believe we all watched is is the WWE Network version. Um, so, if I do mention any like you know time codes dropped dropped in, um, it'll be based on that. Um, just to keep things simple and streamlined here. Um, I mean, I feel like before we even go into the play by play of the event, do we want to like? take a take kind of a, a, a big picture look i mean I'm, I'm really curious to hear from ghost about his memories you know watching this in my in my parents living room in, in wilton connecticut um and you know i don't know do we want to kind of ha- go through any any sort of big picture like uh, uh overarching like memories or, or takes about that i think it's important to set the scene it, it's it's actually critical to this uh event really to kind of set uh the table yeah in, uh, I agree. Sense in terms of world events and uh our our lives and uh yeah i remember the living room well uh many fond memories of uh <laughs> several <laughs> several of the rooms in uh in your in your house there was the living room the basement, the treehouse. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Sounds know, like the, a fucking uh, palace. Oh, my God. It was the palace of fun. And it, uh, the living room was the main media consumption room where uh, SNES would be played. Uh, oh, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes in the parents' bedroom, but I think we moved, you moved it at some point down to the living room. Mm-hmm. We sort of moved it around based on, on you know, parents' media consumption needs. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I remember playing uh, Mario, like, Draw. I was actually, like, kind of... Yeah, Mario Paint. Mario, Mario Paint. Paint. Mario Paint. Yeah. It was, um, you, you know, that was, like, one of the original, you know, use, using a interface device a s- to draw on a screen. That was, you, you, we were both there for that. Yeah. Wow, I totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. That was, that was, like, a revolutionary technology. It really was. It made a big impression yeah. on me. But, uh, yeah, the... Uh, the living room was where it all went down, right next to the kitchen where we would have our Cub Scout meetings. Uh, we would, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, just amazing. I can picture it, picture the scene. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's important we uh, kind of just give a 
quick hit on the uh, the world events. It's like how many months into the uh, the Gulf War were we at this point? Well, I can tell you exactly. Uh, so this event took place on January 19, 1991. This was two days, two days after the U.S. bombing of Iraq had begun, marking the official start of Operation Desert Storm. Of course, the, uh, the, the buildup of, of troops prior to that was referred to as Operation Desert Shield. Um, but on, on January 17th, when the actual bombs started dropping in, for, uh, during the, uh, the air campaign of the Gulf War that, that actually like, kind of kicked off you know, actual fighting, uh, uh, that, that began on January 17th, 91, um, lasted until February 23, um, 91, at which point the uh, ground invasion of uh, the, the coalition invasion of Kuwait uh, began. Um, and as we all know and remember from either our childhoods or history books, uh, it was over relatively quickly. But on January 19th, 91, um, it was it was literally the the second third day of of this uh, war, uh, which was the first time the United States had been engaged in like you know what we sort of referred to as an actual war um, since Vietnam. I mean, obviously there were different uh, you know campaigns and things uh, that that took place throughout the eighties, but but nothing sort of like big enough to like grab everyone's attention um, in, in such a way that it was like, it was like a thing. I remember like as a kid being like, holy shit, like my country is like going to war. Ben, it was um, a big thing. And I don't know if you have this memory too, but I have a distinct memory of several weeks prior to the Royal Rumble um, gathering supplies like toothpaste and soap and all that <laughs> to bring into the classroom for the care packages to send to the soldiers for holy shit wow wow so, i totally forgot about that the, probably your teacher at the time it wasn't sure mrs mrs fagan yeah and, and her, our second grade teacher yeah there you go so um i that, that's a that's a strong memory going to caldor in norwalk connecticut to gather all the things that uh a troop overseas might wow. enjoy for his time away from family during that time of year. It was just this weird. That was like the first, absolutely the first big impression I had of just being like awareness of like geopolitical events um, was that. Yeah. I distinctly remember being in the library of um, of Miller School and looking at like a, like opening like a world atlas and like looking at a map um, and being like, like concerned because you know my country was going to war and i was like oh fuck like are we gonna is this gonna like are we gonna win or lose like i didn't i had no idea i was like i've i've you know i like so i remember like literally like opening atlases and looking at maps of the middle east and being like reassured because the countries that we were going to war against were so tiny it's insane (laughs) and i was like oh wait a minute wait so this little country iraq is here oh but this other country saudi arabia they're like right next to it, but they're on our side, so that's cool. Like, I'm pretty sure we're gonna be okay. And like, literally, like, re- like, ma- like, calming myself down by being like, okay, this one's really small. I think we're gonna be able to beat these guys. <laughs> so I feel like this conversation is a really important one, and it is very, yeah. like, logical. I can't really put my finger on it that we are discussing a sports, maybe sports entertainment event. Mm-hmm. while also discussing the Iraq war and most importantly uh um consuming these events as like you know 
10-year-old kids, 12-year-old kids. Eight. I was eight eight at the time. Eight, right? Eight. Um, Yeah. So I... I guess, yeah, Ben, to that point, I was I was going to ask, like, what do you guys remember about the Iraq war in terms of how you felt about it? Do you remember feeling like, because I, 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 I can't totally put my finger on why, but I think now when I understand it through sports term terms a little bit, it becomes clear. But I remember kind of being like, to that same point, Ben, like being like maybe not excited, but I was like, Oh, we're kind of favored. Like, oh, definitely excited. Like, like once it got going and it re- and I, it was like clear like how it was yeah. going to turn out. It was like fuck yeah. Like this I is mean, awesome. Like we I are mean, we are like the shit. <laughs> yeah, like I I was too young to appreciate like the insane gravity of war and like death. But I oh, do entirely. feel like yeah. I do feel like you know media propaganda and like you know the propaganda of you know institutions like the WWF or whatever helped shape my interpretation of events to like realize that like i mean war is scary but you know i've seen a lot of cool war movies and like i'm hoping we win this one i think that we have a really good i mean in turn in like as long as you're the good guys war is fucking awesome yeah yeah like Like, once i understood that we were good and this is the super bowl and we were heavy favorites i was like i hope we win by 50 like i don't i don't want to just win i want to like really really beat the bad guys Um, yeah and i definitely didn't understand all the key players but i just understood some of the narrative themes like i didn't really understand what Kuwait was I know I know there was like issues with oil and all 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 sorts of like stuff I I just had no appreciation or or could understand as like an eight year old kid like you like you yeah but um, I mean yeah there's no shame in that Chris I mean I in retrospect I feel like I didn't appreciate war and anything but the abstract until my 30s to be quite honest with you so this is a totally normal feeling for an eight a ten year old and I was right there with you guys. But yeah, it was just about like we good beat bad guy, uh, you know, and beat them soundly. And it was like almost there was that 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 crossover in the pop culture. I remember collecting trading cards uh, with yeah. the desert camo yeah. uh, design all around the the edges. I probably still have a uh, gem mint ten Norman Schwarzkopf uh, card <laughs> with the statistics on the back. There was cards with these weapons of war, these vehicles of war, and it was exciting yeah. to go to the store and get the new pack of the Gulf War trading cards. It was just this bizarre crossover. It was just part of the pop culture in a certain way. Yeah, it entirely was. I mean, thanks to, to the 1980s and, and the culture that was created in a time when like America wasn't at war and we were trying to make up for the fact that we got our asses kicked in Vietnam and Ronald Reagan and like all of his just, you know, like the military buildup and 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 all the culture that that sort of felt like it was created in order to justify that and to make us all feel better about what happened in the 70s and the 60s and 70s. Um, and it just completely, I mean, as right, as five, six, seven year olds, y- you know, you're just completely vulnerable, susceptible to that stuff. Um, and so we, yeah, we just completely fell for it. At least I did. And yeah. It, it, and just feeling like, oh yeah, like this is like, America's gotta be, you know, like the, the, the good guys again, and we're going to go and like beat these bad guys. And we're going to like help all the poor people who are being oppressed and hurt by the bad guys and like 
it was just a complete propaganda machine that, um, right, as a young child, you have no sense of like, am I being lied to? Am I being brainwashed? It was just like... But- completely effective on me we were fed the propaganda in a very specific way through these like forms of entertainment like ghost was just saying i mean i i just found it you can buy sheets of desert storm trading cards on ebay it's like you know we all collected baseball and basketball and football cards of our favorite athletes and it was like well why wouldn't i also want like a mint Colin Powell card or like give me like a George W. Bush or give me a George Bush rookie card or you know like you you can buy sheets of like helicopter cards you know you can get like a mint Apache helicopter card or you know like a stealth bomber card so things like the WWF and 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 trading cards sort of it just war became uh just like another team that we were rooting for in the, in the way that yeah. we would root for football teams and basketball teams and wrestlers, these entertainment products. Totally. Yeah. And so, right. Uh, apologies if we're going long on this, on this context, on this like historical back, no, I think backdrop, but very it really necessary. is inseparable from the event that we are going to be discussing today. Um, as, as you'll see, it, it colored the entire thing, literally from the opening shot of, of the event, um, through to the end, um, I think it's really important to to like really do it justice because it completely, completely colored the event itself and my understanding of of world events. It, it I mean, I can honestly say that like <laughs> this is embarrassing. No, but the nineteen ninety one Royal Rumble like pretty much shaped my perception of America and our role in the world um, for a decade. Yeah, until nine eleven. I would, yeah, dude. <laughs> until, I like would... when nine eleven happened, I was like confused. Yeah, because I had been living for ten years <laughs> under the assumption that we were good and that all we did in the world was good, and yes. that is an admission of just the deepest, most embarrassing ignorance. Um, but all I can say is like it was what I was fed, and yeah, I didn't, totally I did. didn't have the wherewithal or the desire to look for other sources of information um i just lived in like a regular like you know like safe upper class white family where we just watched this the same movies and same like network television as everyone else and it was just like where like you know my parents weren't radicals they weren't like feeding me like (laughs) you know, communists, like left wing, uh, uh, you know, like treatises and stuff. Like I had no, uh, like no way to, to see other, uh, sources of, of, of information or like alternative perspectives on like what, uh, um, we did as a country, um, as an empire. Um, and all I knew was Hulk Hogan waves the American flag, um, and therefore it's good. <laughs> ben, um, as, as Ben uh, rambles through his monologue here, of what the <laughs> listeners at home can't appreciate is Ghost on his webcam now is showing oh, off his Iraqi <laughs> Desert Storm <laughs> trading oh my cards. God. You found the cards? You bet I did, brother. Holy oh my shit. God. Oh, my yeah, God. That I mean, was incredible. Ben, to piggy- Bradley Tank. The Bradley oh fighting God. vehicle, fuck yeah. Dude, the Bradley fighting vehicle <laughs> was like the star of the Gulf War. Yes. Like that thing kicked so much ass. Yes. It was like, oh, we got the Bradleys like rolling through. Like, oh, it's awesome. going to be fucking game on, baby. Yeah. 
I mean, um, Ben, to piggyback off what you were talking about there, it was like the oh WWF, God. the WWF, and like you know, sports leagues like the NFL, and the the way they align themselves with the uh, American military complex, like that mm-hmm. really shaped my worldview, frankly, of like America's you know, engagement and, and um, you know, the way th- uh, that America, uh, uh, yeah, engaged with the rest of the world geopolitically. And so, yeah. you know, when the WWF said, like, we support the troops, I was like, me too, I support the troops. And, yeah. you know, there's no shame, like Gus was saying, there's no shame about being an eight, nine-year-old kid and just believing what you're told on TV because you assume, I don't know, you're like, you assume the best in people. You don't yeah. assume any, you don't have a natural cynicism to think like, maybe I shouldn't trust the media. Maybe I shouldn't trust like all this crap that I'm consuming. Um, right. Not only do you not have cynicism, but you're also so susceptible to like just cool and exciting things like wrestling and football and, and explosions. Yeah, like you mentioned the NFL. Yeah. If there's one event that is as formative for me uh, in my childhood as the 91 Royal Rumble, it's the 1991 Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, during which, of course, uh, you know, famously Whitney Houston sung the national anthem. Um, and then the Giants went on to win one of the most exciting Super Bowls in history. And it was like, and, you know, I remember, um, fuck, who's the, um, one of the, 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 was it Matt Barr? Was he the, the kicker for the Giants? I remember like, uh, po- like post game, they're all celebrating on the field and some reporter runs over to him and like on the, on the actual like TV telecast, Matt Barr's got like a yellow ribbon on his arm and yep. he's like, this one's for the troops. Like right. literally in the, in like the height of like the victory and 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 like the climax of like this the most exciting and like suspenseful sports moment i could ever like imagine he was like shouting out the troops and being like this one's for the troops and it's like and that was a real sport <laughs> that was not staged or 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 scripted um so it's just like yeah at that time the fervor was so intense and so and it was like such a like kind of a slam dunk like i mean i don't remember like anti-war protests for the first obviously for the second gulf war there were but but i mean i'm sure there were in some small isolated pockets but like you know it wasn't like an unpopular war it was like yeah no we're gonna go in and we're gonna throw out this like evil dictator saddam hussein and we're gonna like help these these poor people of iraq and um and there was no you know like uh sort of ambiguity about it it was just like no no we we're clearly the good guys here um, i think it was we're a gonna pop- go in and- yeah i think it was a popular war and yeah. you know like we were talking about america hadn't been in a you know a war conflict like that since vietnam so i think if we're being honest there was probably like some degree of like excitement and novelty just to being like oh yeah all right, like, there's I, all this pent I, up like yeah, yeah, I guess we got to do the good guy stuff. Like, I guess we have to, like, go, like, rescue these people from the bad guy. And, like, just like they do in the movies. And, you know, my uncle told me about this. I haven't seen anything like this since Vietnam, but I guess it's my turn. You know, like, I guess we, you know, got to go bomb this country um, and take care of this evil dictator. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So let's talk about this opening shot on the American flag, Ben. Yes. Yes. We've got we've got old glory um, just just magnificently blowing in the wind it's like a long long you know no sound underneath it no music just a a silent shot of um uh, uh, of the uh, the stars and stripes ladies and gentlemen our national anthem 
Yeah, I mean, listen, the, the WWF knew what they were doing. I mean, as we'll discuss, like, they weren't... Let's be very, very clear here. The WWF was not um, paying tribute to our men and women um, in the armed forces. They were exploiting them. Um, we're we're going to have to, like... <laughs> get into this um this this was a a case of uh profiting off of off of war and death um uh, on the part of the wwf obviously on the surface they were very supportive of the troops and um and and the the company as a whole and and many of the individual wrestlers obviously like did a lot of work um you know to uh you know just charity work i guess for lack of a better word you know going to going around and um you know, doing what they could to to support and contribute to the cause um, of of the U.S. military. Uh, you know, Hulk Hogan, of, uh, which is you know mentioned multiple times, like you know, did a tour of uh, of U.S. Army bases. Um, so they were, you know, I, I think it was a genuine like support for the troops. But um, but the event itself, the storylines, the characters involved um, were completely crafted to capitalize on this jingoistic, you know, nationalistic fervor. Um, and they were doing all of this in order to sell tickets, obviously. Um, and so I think that's like sort of an important theme to like lay out at the very top, um, which we'll be getting coming back to again and again. Like they were, they, they knew exactly what they were doing and they were very, um, so this is a, the 91 Royal Rumble, I sort of like learned through through research later on, is was actually very controversial um, and very divisive among like wrestling fans. Like a lot of people are like, you know, this this was where the WWF like really just went too far. They crossed the line, um, and we'll discuss why you know people think that. For my money, I have a couple of like kind of big broad takes to lay out at the top. Um, this to me is actually the best <laughs> thing <laughs> that the WWF ever did. Um, this was the best um, storyline in, in, in WWF history, exploiting a war for profit. Um, you know, wrestling is about manipulating people's emotions um, at its core. It's that's what it is. That's how it, it makes money by manipulating people and by, presenting something um that is not real and convincing people that it is real um and even when they know it's not real still doing it in such a way that it draws people in um and they do this with total disregard for moral values the bounds of taste uh, anyone who's watched wrestling understands that this is like basically the most base and vulgar form of entertainment uh, outside of like snuff films um that that exists in like you know mainstream media um so if you like wrestling and you understand what wrestling is i would argue that the 1991 royal rumble is like the most like the like kind of most extreme and and like um like purest like most like boiled down version of like what wrestling is um and so i want to not criticize the wwf for for doing what it did here but in fact applauding it <laughs> and congratulating it um and i feel like it is really the the perfect event um 
despite the vast and incalculable damage uh, that it did to my uh, personal psyche and uh, development as a child <laughs> um, and the way it brainwashed me with its propaganda, it was, uh, I mean, I think it's impossible to say that it um, was good. Um, I think it, it, as I said, it, it, it brainwashed me and, and made me um, ignorant um, in a very, very deep way. <laughs> but it was just extremely effective at what it was trying to do. And therefore, I feel like it has to be applauded for that. And it has to be sort of viewed in, a, in an amoral vacuum. Um, uh, and if you kind of view it through that lens, I feel like it is the actual pinnacle of the entire professional wrestling enterprise undertaking, whatever you want to call it. I do wonder if there's a bit of the chicken or the egg like uh, situation here with the WWF and their supporting the armed forces and the troops in the Middle East. Like, was it was it us that wanted to support the troops and and thus uh, uh, the WWF gave us a product that hyped that up, or was it the WWF mm-hmm. that supported the troops and thus we followed in suit? It's it's. Honest, honestly, like it's a little unclear to me. It really, it just seems like this vicious cycle of yeah. us telling them we support the troops, and then mm-hmm. them reflecting back to us characters that were like, yes. we as well support the troops. But also, yes. there are characters telling us we support the troops, and then we, the audience, with our flags and our signs, being like, we support the troops. And it's like. I don't really know where it begins or ends. I just know that we paid them our money and our time and our attention. We bought all of their merchandise in their efforts to support, you know, to, to support the war and in, and, and in service of this like jingoistic Americana thing. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just something for us to consider and meditate on uh, throughout the course of the podcast. I don't, I don't know what the right or wrong answer there is, but just a thought. Yeah, I mean that's like the the beautiful thing about wrestling, and the thing that I think interests me, like um, intellectually, is that for all of its like you know just gross vulgarity, um, you can criticize it all you want, um, but. But ultimately, it's a reflection of, of us, us. Of, of the audience. And everything that they do, they do to get a reaction from people. It is a product that is entirely dependent on the crowd, on the audience reaction. And it's very, very obvious when the audience doesn't like something. And it's very, very obvious when the audience does like something. So no matter what you want to say about professional wrestling as you know, as like a, as a product, it ultimately exists as a reflection, as a mirror of our society and of the people that consume it. And our our values and our interests. Yeah. Yeah. And our taste and our sort of, you know, moral values and our bounds of, of like what we deem acceptable or not. Um, you know, what we think is right, what we think is wrong. It's entirely, it's like this product that is like constantly, trying to fine tune and like recalibrate to figure out that sweet spot of like, what is the thing that's going to get that reaction from people to make the most money for us? Um, so it's this product that you can view as, as like a real 
like uh, artifact of the of the time um, that it's existing of like, yeah, I mean, you know, go back to the 1940s and 50s in professional wrestling and there were Nazi characters, of course, during the Cold War, there were, um, you know, communist Russian characters. Um, So it's always it's always a reflection of like what's going on, you know, the Iron Sheik, um, of course, like one of the most infamous, um, you know, uh, uh, sort of stand ins for the um, the Iranian uh, you know, following the Iranian crisis in the late seventies. Um, uh, so it's, yeah, it, it like that, that question of like, Oh, is the WWF presenting something that we react to, or are we actually the making it ones that are driving that? Um, yeah. and yeah, I think yeah. it's totally, a, I mean, yeah, a, a, a cycle, like you said. And to this end, I don't, I don't want to begin having this conversation now because I think maybe we should save it for later if we want to have it at all. But I know we've talked about it, Ben, like the exact same conversation I think could also be um, had about our 45th president, uh, Donald Trump. And oh, we'll be know, get we'll be dis- we'll be we'll yeah, be saying his name at some point like during fl- these proceedings. Fl- <laughs> I've 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 I had this exact same conversation in the past with family and friends about like, yeah, I know I understand it's very upsetting, you know, to certain people, like what he says and does, but something we should also consider is that like he love or hate him. Like Donald Trump is ours. Like we, he is America. We made Donald Trump. Donald Trump does not exist again, love or hate him. Like without us wanting him, uh, you know, half of the country, at least half the country wanting that person, willing that person Mm -hmm. into existence and there is obviously uh, a really interesting relationship relationship between Donald Trump and the WWF that we'll oh, uh, yeah. get to at some point. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there uh, just because we were talking in, in that way about, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the sport and the content being a reflection of the audience. That's um, such a great point, Chris. I mean, yeah. uh, when we were talking about um, just the WWF, I was thinking, yeah, it's like, professional wrestling was this unique and still is part of entertainment. It's like uniquely the form of entertainment that can do this kind of a B test on a nightly basis. Mm-hmm. And Donald Trump did the exact same thing. So like, mm-hmm. that, was, that like kind of actually blew my mind when you mentioned that there, cause I was thinking like, Oh yeah, there, it was a reflection of us, the WWF because on a match by match nightly basis, they were able to read and react recalibrate after every night and uh, mm-hmm. look at the numbers and lean into this or pull away from that. And uh, I mean, it's very astute what you pointed out with the, with the Trump thing. It's like, you know, the guy was doing the same exact thing on Twitter on a nightly basis. Uh, he, for all his faults, he was an interesting communicator and he had this certain knack to tap into the the population and he he knew he couldn't just you know dictate uh what he wanted he actually did kind of do a little in his own weird way a b testing every night on twitter and uh he saw where the energy was and he tapped into that energy and he harnessed that energy and i think that's a very good analog to the wwf and probably yeah yeah you know, it's no coincidence that Trump and the WWF have a long crossover history. Yeah, yeah, a hundred thousand percent. I mean, Donald Trump is professional wrestling in the form of a of a single human being. 
Yeah, I mean, they are obviously like inextricably linked on a surface level um, because of his involvement in the sport going back to the 80s. Um, but like on a much deeper, you know, more like kind of cosmic level almost, he is he is wrestling. He is um, saying things and doing things with seemingly no real like overarching philosophy other than what gets a reaction from people. Um whether it's good or bad, a reaction is what I want. Um, and fuck, like all you can, yeah, like say whatever you want about the guy. Um, obviously, I am not a fan. Um, um, and but like he was extremely talented at getting a reaction from people, good or bad. Um, and yeah, it's um, it's it's very fitting. I would say that we are recording this on uh, January twenty first, uh, two thousand and twenty one. Not only thirty years um, after the uh, nineteen ninety one Royal Rumble, but uh, but one day after uh, Donald Trump's leaving office uh, as president of the United States, which is yeah, still something that uh, boy, if you had told me in nineteen ninety one um, where we would be, um, pretty wild. So um, yeah, gosh. Um, I wonder if uh, if after all of that that preamble we should uh, we should hop into this actual Let's <laughs> this do it. actual event. Now that we're now that we're a solid like <laughs> nearly an hour into recording, um, this might be a two parter, folks. I'm just gonna say it right now. Um, but um, yeah, but boy, there's there's just so much to unpack, and uh, yeah, we're we're only getting started here. You can listen to Switch. 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 